people want to know, uh, again, as I said, uh, what's really authentic and what's real and without a lot of slick stuff. So I tried to make the book as honest as I could and uh, something that really communicated uh, who God was. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Things You Don't Hear in Church podcast. My name is Ethan. And my name is Derry. And guys, check us out on social media. We're all over the YouTube space, the Spotify and iTunes and Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff. Leave reviews and subscribe. It really helps the channel grow. Add some comments. That helps get it out there, too, to reach more people with the gospel. Yeah. Why, y'all, today we have an awesome guest returning onto the show, the show George Saris. He's the voice, if you've ever been on uh, the Bible out before you listen to the NIV, he's the voice of the NIV uh, Bible. Really awesome, kind of what I grew up listening to. Um, he's also done some other versions as well before. Uh, pretty cool. So, like, his voice has been in my head since, since a child, so it's always awesome to talk to him and hear his voice again. Uh, he's a voice actor. Um, he's an author. Uh, he has other books that we've had him on to talk about. He's a speaker, an actor. He's got a YouTube channel that he posts a lot of good content to as well. Um, he has a master's degree in divinity. And today we're having him on to talk about his new book. Pretty brand new. Do you, uh, can you tell us when it was released? Yeah, it was, I think it was uh, January 27th of this year. Mm, there so you go. Pretty new. Yeah. So in this fact, is the book right I, I here. Last week, I, I uh, put up the audio version. I finally got a chance oh. to get everything recorded uh, since I'm the uh, narrator for it. Um, <laughs> but it was, I had a number of other books that I was narrating and other things I was doing and never got a chance to get to it and finally got it done. And it was, there you go. I think last, a week ago, Monday, I think is when I mm. put it up, something like that anyway. Mm. Cool. Well, the book is called uh, Searching for Truth in Vegas, Hollywood, and Bethlehem. It's pretty interesting. Uh, we gave it a look over and we really enjoyed it. We think it really fits a uh, a niche for a lot of people trying to get into this this certain topic. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what it was like, like your inspiration for making the book and the process that you went through making it? Yeah, a um, long time ago, I was uh, reading in scripture and uh, I, I thought normally people think of faith, the, the definition of faith as Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, which says that uh, faith is the, um, uh, what is it? Uh, the conviction of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, something like that. But that's actually a description of faith. It's not really the definition. The definition is in chapter 11, verse 6, where it says, He who comes to God must do two things. He must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Well, I concluded at the time that uh, that meant that you needed to believe that God is real hmm. and that God is good. If he if you come to seek him, he's not going to push you away. He won't punish you. He won't ignore you. He'll actually reward you. That's God is good. That was what my first book was about. And then this book is about that part of, is God real? In fact, the subtitle of the book is The Quest to Discover If God is Real. And as I yeah. thought about it more and more, I just realized that um, people today are just desperately looking for something that's authentic. They're not looking yeah. for slick... Um, things to be done. They want something that's real and honest. And so I thought, well, you know, over the years, I've been uh, talking with people for, <laughs> I've been in the media industry for about a little over 40 years. And uh, during that time, I've talked to all kinds of people, producers, directors, um, other actors, uh, just normal people, engineers. Um, and they have honest questions. And I would answer, mm -hmm. at least try to answer as many of those questions as I, as I could. And so, um, I decided, you know, I ought to write a book 
about is God real for those mm -hmm. people that are wondering about that. And especially today, because people want to know, uh, again, as I said, uh, what's really authentic and what's real and without a lot of slick stuff. So I tried to make the book as honest as I could and uh, something that really communicated uh, who God was or who God mm -hmm. is. That's awesome. What was the process of making it like? Like, were you doing a lot of research? Is a lot of this just questions that you had heard before? Um, what were you trying to address when you were really getting at the foundations of the book? Well, I originally finished the book in the year 2000. Now, that's a long wow. time ago, right? 23 years ago. I was working in uh, the New York uh, media industry, and a lot of the people that I came in contact with had, had a lot of these questions. And so I started to write a book to try to give them answers. I, I looked around. I didn't find anything that was quite what I liked. So I wrote the book and uh, I couldn't get it published. I mean, you know, George mm -hmm. Sarris is a nobody. Nobody knew where I was. And at that time, you couldn't self-publish the book. You could only mm -hmm. get it through a regular publisher. And so I just set it aside and uh, didn't think about it too much. That's why I went to my second book, uh, Heaven's Doors, talking mm -hmm. about is God good? And uh, then, I don't know, about three or four years ago, I thought, you know, I ought to get that book out and see if I can update it, do a little more research and uh, see if I can, if it's, you know, as good as what I thought it was back in 2000. So I, mm -hmm. I took it out and uh, started doing a lot more research on it. And uh, that's what came as a result. That's awesome. Yeah. Can you walk us through the flow of the book a little bit, like your intentionality of where it starts and the, the journey it kind of takes you on? Yeah. Um, the title is kind of interesting because the title is, uh, searching for Truth in Vegas, Hollywood, and Bethlehem. And uh, Vegas really is relating to chance, right? What do you have? You go to Las Vegas, you throw the dice, and it comes out right. to be whatever it happens to be. And uh, that's really evolution. You know, the, the standard view in our culture today is that mankind and the world and the, the universe, whatever, just sort of happen to come together by chance. And so the first chapter really deals with that particular issue. Is chance the source of where things come from? Uh, mm. Hollywood is the force of Star Wars. Back in uh, the late 1960s, there was a lot of uh, talk about transcendental meditation that got into the mm. New Age movement, all that kind of stuff. And, and this whole idea of the force, in fact, George Lucas, who wrote and produced um, Star Wars, which, by the way, uh, originally was distributed in only 32 theaters around the country, mm. and it just exploded in terms of yeah. its uh, success. People just saw it. It was he was kind of taking um, an old Western and putting it into the future, and right. uh, it was kind of really cool. And, and the way he did it, it was really he did a, a wonderful job of that. But uh, anyway, he was involved in something called Est, which I can't remember what it, it's. Um, Earhart something sensitivity training or whatever, I don't know. But it was kind of this Eastern mystical kind of idea. And he took a lot of ideas from Zoroastrianism, which is the, the good and right. the bad forces that exist, et cetera, and mm -hmm. combined it with some science stuff because it was science fiction and it just took mm -hmm. off. I mean, people just became really excited about that. And so, you know, a lot of people think, yeah, there's this force in the, in the uh, universe. And, you know, someday I will become a part of that force. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's what Hollywood is about. And then Bethlehem yeah. obviously is Christianity. The problem that I see with evolution, just initial, oh, by the way, then I, I go on through the, the uh, 
the book. So is there a God? What about evolution? What about Eastern mysticism? But then mm. getting into some questions about often have come up, people would say to me, well, is the Bible that we have today the same as the original Bible? You know, maybe right. it's just been really changed a lot over the years. I mean, you got to remember, this is starting out in, you know, BC time frame, 1500 years before Christ. And then it goes up until maybe possibly 100 years after Christ. Um, so didn't it get a lot? And then it was copied initially by hand. So aren't there a lot of errors and mistakes in the Bible? So I deal with that particular issue as well. Um, what makes the Bible unique? Uh, why is it different from, uh, say, the Tripitaka of Buddhism or the uh, Vedas of Hinduism? Um, the uh, Zendavesta of Zoroastrianism. So I go into that a little bit to talk about what those documents were like and how is that different from the Bible? What makes the Bible really unique? Mm -hmm. And then is Jesus the Messiah? That's a really big question. You know, um, yeah. you, you've got a lot of people that will talk about, uh, well, just within the media industry, there's a lot of Jewish people and uh, they obviously do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so that's one of the questions that would come up a lot during the course mm -hmm. of my uh, discussions with people. Uh, did Jesus really rise from the dead? That's a big question. Um, I mentioned in there, this is really true. When I went to get my blood, I don't say it's that detail, but when I went to get the blood test for my, to get married, mm -hmm. there was a, uh, a physician who uh, took the blood test and talked and he was an atheist, didn't believe in God at all. Mm. And uh, he said, uh, and I said, well, you know, what about the resurrection? Ah, the resurrection. It's just a bunch of fairy tales. You know, Jesus. And at the time, by the way, this was in the early 1970s. I got married in 1971. Um, right around that time, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was some call, something called the Passover plot. Big, big mm. uh, book that was uh, uh, that came out at that time. And it was basically saying that Jesus swooned. In other words, he kind of went unconscious. They put him in right. the the tomb they thought he was dead but he really wasn't dead he got revived mm -hmm. in the tomb and then um you know that's what happened so i said to him okay now you're a physician and i said um if you had iron spikes you know stuck into your your uh, wrists and into mm -hmm. your feet and you were beaten by a professional executioner or a professional torturer and uh you were put into this cold slab uh in a in a tomb and you've got a two-ton stone in the front of it, and you got a bunch of guards out in front of it that are guarding this tomb. Do you actually believe that he kind of revived in it and uh, mm. broke out of these it was like 75 pounds of uh, of uh, uh, spices that were in a, in a wrapped in a mummy type thing that he right. broke out of those clothes and then he pushed over the two-ton stone and snuck past the guards, and then he appears to his disciples probably looking half dead. I mean, oh, mm -hmm. just rolled from the dead. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if that had happened, would you be wanting to follow that being? Yeah. And say, yeah, I'm willing to die for that. I said, right. no, probably you'd want to just die. <laughs> yeah. That's rising from the dead is, I don't want it, right? Yeah. And uh, also no food or water for all those days as well. That's right. Yeah. Good yeah. point. So all that kind of stuff, you know, and I, I, it was really kind of interesting Whoops, <laughs> gotta turn this off. Sorry about that. Um, all good. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it was really interesting to talk to him about that. But that's a big question. Did Jesus really rise mm. from the dead? And then I think one of the, the biggest questions that people have, and this is, this is something that is not an easy question to answer, but it's an important question to answer, 
if God is all powerful and God is good and he's wise, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Yeah. Um, why do you have people with birth defects? Um, why do you have uh, people that get into um, accidents? You know, mm-hmm. uh, why do you, why would God allow torture? That's a big one. You know, I mean, torture mm-hmm. is purposefully inflicting pain on someone. Why would God do that? And another big question for the biblical people is why would God actually command his people to wipe out a civilization uh, Mm. when they went into uh, Canaan. So those are some of the questions that I tried to uh, uh, answer and address in the, in the book. That's awesome. I love it. Mm -hmm. What would you say is your, the favorite chapter you had when you were writing it? Just like that you enjoyed writing the most. Maybe you got to remember back in the day, but. (laughs) Well, a lot of it came from more recent times as I just started to do Mm. uh, a lot more research. Uh, There were a couple of different things. Um, I just found out some interesting information. The, the, the first chapter talks about, uh, it starts out with a statement that um, uh, Yuri Gargarin, who was the first person to actually get into outer space, right, and, mm-hmm. and orbit the Earth, uh, a Russian cosmonaut. And uh, he said, well, I've gone up into space and I didn't encounter God. Now, this, you got to remember, back then, the, the Soviet Union was officially atheist. And so they hmm. they actually put together, you can Google it if you want to, um, uh, a, an image, picture of a poster from the Soviet Union back at that time that says there is no God with an, a cosmonaut floating in space. And they made a big hmm. deal out of this, right? Um, well, then uh, after that, I, I talk about the first moon landing, actually the first, the, the first time we orbited the moon, um, hmm. a group of people, and then at the end, uh, the moon, the first moon landing in 1969, which happened, by the way, the day after my 21st birthday, which I thought was kind of interesting. Hmm. There um, you go. Yeah, July 20th, 1969. But um, everybody knows the name of uh, uh, Neil Anderson because he's the first person to walk on the moon. Well, the second person was Buzz Aldrin. He was, uh, they were together in the capsule and they went down together. Uh, Neil Armstrong was the first one. Did I say Anderson? It was Neil Armstrong. Anyway, Neil Armstrong was the first person to actually walk on the uh, uh, the moon. And about 30 minutes later, Buzz Aldrin came out and he walked on the moon. Well, then he goes back into the um, the what they call the LEM, the lunar module. LM is what is uh, that's what the thing is. He went back in there and he actually took communion. Wow. It was amazing. He had asked his pastor uh, for. If, if the pastor would prepare communion and he he took the communion and and afterwards he said well i couldn't think of a better way to acknowledge this phenomenal accomplishment than to thank god hmm. like wow that was amazing. i didn't i never know that and there's another uh, interesting thing um people will say often well you know you have uh, uh muhammad and uh buddha and um, Confucius, they all lived and they all died mm. and they're dead. But Jesus, his tomb is empty. Well, I thought, mm. you know, I've said that many, many years. Well, what mm. I found out was, do you realize that you can actually go and visit the grave of Muhammad? Wow. It's mm. in um, Medina, uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, 
it's in a covered shrine there. Confucius is buried in the cemetery of Confucius in Kufu, Shandong province, China. Hmm. And uh, Buddha was actually cremated and uh, his bones were given to different people as, as relics. Wow. But Jesus rose from the dead. Well, I, I didn't realize you can actually go and visit the tomb of Muhammad or yeah. the burial place of Confucius. You can't visit the place for um, Buddha because he was uh, uh cremated but you can there are still right. bones around there somewhere what he did I, I thought that was just kind of fascinating um yeah and then the 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 one that was uh kind of the most interesting was um answering those questions about why would god allow pain and suffering mm. and uh i really did some study in the book of job because that's a big issue for job obviously you know here's a good man he's being God initiates the suffering for Job. And uh, then why would God allow those kinds of things? And so I looked up uh, different types of issues. For example, one of them is um, with regard to uh, uh, conjoined twins. Um, conjoined twins are what people generally say are Siamese twins. And uh, there's this, these conjoined twins, Laura and Reba Chappelle, uh, they're conjoined at the head Interestingly, one looks mm. forward, the other one looks backward, so they can never actually see themselves. Whoa. Um, mm. One of them is significantly shorter than the other. And so why would God, and if you, you tried to separate them, they'd both die. Mm. So why wow. would God ever allow that to happen? That was a big yeah. issue that I thought needs to be done. And I, I remember contacting a friend of mine who's a military uh, person in the Navy, and uh, his wife, uh, gave me a couple of books on tortured prisoners of war uh, in North Vietnam. And uh, what was their experience there? And, and how did that happen? And uh, so those were some interesting things that I, I uh, discovered in the course of what I was uh, doing in my research. Hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in chapter three, it's titled, What is God Like? And you talk about how there's a still small voice that we all have. And I think that's different than the still small voice than the storm with uh, I think right. it's Elijah or Elijah mm. or Elisha, one of those guys. Um, but yeah, can you explain how our inner voice, our still small voice, is an evidence of God's existence? Yeah, that's a good question. The, the still small voice I'm talking about is the voice of conscience. That there's mm. something inside your heart that says you ought to do something, you ought to do what's right, you ought to do good, and mm. uh, it's pretty consistent. Uh, different cultures have different. Uh, definitions of what good is, but it's always mm. something that is good. I have a close friend of mine, in fact, uh, not a real close friend, but he's, he's a fairly good friend, um, David Constan, who uh, actually put a blurb on the cover of my original book, Heaven's Doors. Mm. Uh, he's a professor of classics, emeritus professor of classics at Brown University and professor mm. of classics at New York University currently. Wow. And um, just brilliant guy. He he reads all these classic guys, you know, Aristotle and and mm. uh, mm -mm. Uh, Plato and all these. Well, one day I, I mentioned, I actually sent him a copy of my book. He was willing to read one chapter at a time. And so I did. And he got <laughs> back to me in, in, in his uh, inimitable way. And he said, uh, yeah, when you talked about conscience, um, there's a story uh, Plato writes about his conversation with Socrates, where Socrates said to him, um, he always, even from a little boy, he had this little voice in his mind that told him always what to do, or always to do what was right. And he said, he always followed that, or at least he always tried to follow that. 
And then he says, and this is actually in Plato. He says, that's why I'm not a cop. Uh, that's why I'm not a politician. Wow. <laughs> I thought that was just profound. That was amazing. Awesome. I don't have that in my book, but that was just an yeah. interesting little comment about that. But the voice of conscience that, that there is something inside every single human being mm. that tells him to do the right thing, what is good. And that kind of indicates that there's whoever it is that created us, or uh, if there's this being outside, that he's got some element of him that is good. Now, it can be mm. confused and whatever it is. In fact, I mentioned in the book, there's an Indian uh, Native American proverb that says, uh, your conscience is like a, a square block, block inside your heart. And every time it turns, the edges dig into your heart and it hurts. Mm. But if it turns too mm. often, the edges break down and it doesn't hurt so much. And so you do have people that are, they, their, their consciences have been seared. I guess that right. would be mm -hmm. a difficult mm -hmm. view of that. And, um, yeah. uh, but that's what happens there. But there's something that says God is good. Now it's not clearly defined what good is, but mm -hmm. with each person, they know that there's something that is good and I'm obligated to do it. Mm. That there, because when I don't do it, I feel guilty or I'm accused by my own conscience that you did it wrong. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when you do do it right, you've got this feeling of, ah, yeah, I did it right. Mm. So that's kind of yeah. where it comes from. Yeah. So with that, a little pushback, I feel like some atheists could throw out there is, could that just be like the society you grew up in? programming that's playing back like you were raised around these moral values and that's all you know so it's recited back does that make sense yeah it does make sense um the problem is that even when you're involved in uh you know the mafia type thing <laughs> they know mm -hmm. that there are some things that are good and some things that are not you know it goes mm -hmm. against what the culture says there are things that every culture will say and yet my conscience says this is not really right and uh, there's something about the conscience that every single person has. And there's there's something different in the various cultures. That's why you need to have something more than just the conscience to guide you. That's how mm -hmm. we get into the, the biblical direction. That if there is a God um, who shows his power in the universe, I mean, if you just look out and you see this phenomenal size and complexity of the, uh, of the, the universe, it just boggles your mind. When you see, you can't, we can't see, all the way to the end of where the universe goes. And if we look at our microscopes, we can't see all the end of how small it is. I mean, it just yeah. goes almost infinitely in both directions. You know, just this phenomenal com complex uh, stuff that we have. I think I mentioned in there that um, the, uh, the DNA molecule that we have in our uh, body as it transmits information about who we are, et cetera, is something like 40 or 43 trillion times more accurate than our computer chips are mm -hmm. it's just it's phenomenal you know what yeah. god is able to do and how complex it is well that shows you yeah. how that god must be wise and he must be powerful because the size of the universe is really big mm. but it doesn't tell you any more about who god is and there and there's some aspect of him being good but you don't know exactly what that means that's why you have to have something uh, more. And that's why I think God gave this document to mankind mm. to inform mankind of who he really is, what his requirements are, et cetera, to give a, a clearer mm. view of uh, who, who God is.
Yeah, the complexity part's fascinating. And almost every scientist agrees that the universe is fine-tuned. Their just assumption is not that it's a miracle or that it's God. Well, they would say it's a miracle, but they wouldn't say it's God. They would just say it's chance or has to be that way or something like that. Yeah, it's Whatever. like going to Las Vegas and expecting that you're going to come away right. making a lot of money. Well, it's you actual, know, that's what probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, at the end of the book, I thought something was really interesting. You switch from these kind of deeper, heavier intellectual quandaries and questions people have asked you to um, experiencing God. I thought that was a really good way to end it, but I wanted to ask you about it. What made you want to, to add that as the ending in there? Well, that was originally going to be the introduction. Really? And yeah, that's what it was. That was in my 2000 uh, book, <laughs> when I finished mm -hmm. in 2000, that was the introduction. And um, uh, my friend who uh, was my roommate in college and has become my editor, Jack Lynn, just a wonderful editor. Mm. Um, he was a journalism major in college, uh, worked uh, in editing and some other stuff. And then he was also a marketing guy. Anyway, uh, he said, George, what you need to do is put that at the end of the book, not the beginning of the book. He said, it's much more interesting for a person to get into what you're talking about and then kind of capsulize it with what God has done in your life specifically. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, the book doesn't just become a testimony at the beginning. And I've been going into this. Uh, he suggests I put it at the end. And I think it really worked out very well uh, to do it. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. The format totally makes sense. It's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You find often like doing evangelism or, or having these conversations, like you said, with so many people that experience is a great evangelistic tool. Like some people are just wired different, right? I think everybody would react to experience, um, but not everybody would necessarily react to like having an intellectual question because not everybody has those. Um, and some people value those much higher than having experience because anybody can have an experience. It's subjective. You know what I mean? And so I, I thought it was beautiful that you ended all of that in there. Like if someone decides to believe in God from this like book, right? They read through all of the evidences. Maybe they, they believed in a different kind of creation at the beginning. They get through creation. They see chance. They see mysticism, um, all that kind of stuff. They go through the objections and they get to the end. Like, oh, wow, like I need to experience the Lord, not just like know about him in this way. I thought it was a, a great kind of capstone for the end there. Thank you. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad you like that. <laughs> you can thank my editor, Jack Lynn, my friend and editor, Jack Lynn, because <laughs> he's the one that put it in there. Uh, in fact, it was interesting because the book was originally going to be titled, Is God Real? Mm -hmm. uh, like my sec my other book was originally going to be titled, Is God Good? That's how it was. Is God Real? And then, Is God Good? And my wife didn't like either one of those titles. She's not, mm. those aren't any good. And Jack didn't like them either. <laughs> so <laughs> with something else. So uh, searching for truth. I thought was uh, actually much more appropriate, especially in our culture today. There are a lot of people, I come into contact with people, that, and you probably much more than I do even. Um, what kind of religious background do you have? Well, I'm not really religious, I'm, I'm spiritual. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. carry that kind of idea. And a lot of them, and in fact, it's interesting, there've been some um, research done on that. And uh, a large percentage of them are not atheists. In fact, hardly any of them are really atheists. Right. They're just right. questioning, wanting to know. And too many times mm -hmm. they've gone through a church and it's just been either too mm -hmm. slick or they didn't listen or something happened. And mm -hmm. uh, they just need a grounding in what the, 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 Christian, the Christian, the body of biblical faith is really all about. And that's what I was trying mm -hmm. to do. Uh, the people that I came in contact with over the years, some of them had questions about... Um, uh, 
is there really a God? <laughs> George, you're stupid. I mean, nobody mm. believes that. I mean, everybody knows that evolution is true. Uh, but a lot of others were, um, yeah, I, I've, been, I've been wondering about that. And then some of them are people that have made professions of faith. They've actually been a part of a church, but they don't know a, a lot about their faith. And I think that's one of the problems that we have in our culture today is that we have a lot of Christians that are not knowledgeable about why they believe what they believe. They know that I've had a personal experience and that experience has been real and that's mm. good, but I don't have anything really solid to base my faith on. Mm. And um, especially now, because everything is getting turned upside down. I mean, you can't trust the government. You can't trust the schools. You can't trust the churches. You can't trust anybody. And mm. so what is really truth all about? That's why, um, that's really the bottom line why I, I uh, decided to publish it now was people are looking for truth. They're, they're almost yeah. desperate at wanting to know what is true in this world where everything is topsy-turvy, going upside down, um, you know, things that I thought were pretty established institutions and established uh, ideas, now they're just being thrown out. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, is there something you really can base on that is true? Yeah, that's good. One of the things I like that you talked about is you asked, why didn't God just deal with sin and get over it? You know, when it happened, why not just deal with it and move on? So let's go to that. I think that's a question a lot of people have. And so I'd like to hear your answer for the listeners as well. Like, yeah, when sin first happened in the garden, why not just do the sacrifice for all people from all times right there? and then have a lot more time of the ability to have a relationship with God. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I think the real key thing is, and this is something that Christians have been talking about for a long time, is that God really did give mankind a free, a true free will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if uh, I mentioned in the book, but if you were able to program, you know, why didn't God just make Adam good, right, at the very beginning? And uh, you could program a computer to say, I love you. You are very good to me. You are the very greatest person in the world. It'd be hollow. You could even program it to be saying it in a sensitive way, right? Oh, I love you, God. You're so wonderful. I want to follow you. Mm -hmm. But again, if it was programmed, it'd be hollow, just empty. And so God wants a true free will, a true love. Uh, are either of you guys married? Yes. Yes, you are? Both of you? Mm, no, no, you're not. Okay, just you. If you're if your wife, if you forced her to marry you and to love you, quote love you, it'd be kind of mm -hmm. empty. But the fact that you, she ch freely chose to marry you, and you freely chose to marry her, that's a wonderful thing. My wife and I have been married for 52 years. That's a great thing. But yeah. it would have been so hollow. Uh, and obviously, there are some cultures that do have matched marriages, but there's a certain quality of love even in them, you know, that you fall in love after the match comes along, as opposed to the other. But if there's no freedom to truly love, it's just hollow. So that's one mm -hmm. thing that God did. He wanted to give mankind a true free will. And that means giving all of mankind a true free will, even after Adam died. Well, as God began to implement a, a, a a program to uh, uh, deal with mankind's sin, he starts out by establishing a set. Now, I'm an actor, right? One of the things that is really important for actors is having a set. Even in my Bible story 
performances. I don't know if you've ever mm. seen any of those. You can go on my YouTube channel and, and you can see a couple of the, the performances that I've done. I have a scarf and I utilize the set where I, mm. I am, at least certain sections. I mean, I'll look out when I'm talking to a person, um, uh, like in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll be doing that uh, this Saturday at a church uh, for wow. a special event. Um, uh, there's a place where the the burning fiery furnace is, and there's another place where the the uh, golden statue is. And I look it out over there, and I kind of pantomime some actions for each one of those things. Well, mm. you have to understand the set in order to be able to understand the story. And so what God did was He established a set to understand who God really is. If you want to know who God is, I mean, we're not going to be walking in the garden with God like Adam did, but we will mm. want to get to know who He is and what He's like. And so He established these things uh, with the children of Israel establishing the uh, the tabernacle and then the temple what are the sacrifices why do you need a sacrifice what does sin do well sin leads to death that's why you have to kill this animal and it's interesting because in the old testament the person who comes to confess his sin he has to be the one that kills it you know mm -hmm. i put my hand on this this uh animal and i kill it to mm -hmm. say my i deserve to be killed like that that uh, animal mm -hmm. is and so it's kind of setting a stage to understand the significance of what sin is like, of who God is, uh, what salvation is like, all these kinds of different things. So that when Jesus comes along and uh, John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God, the person doesn't think, oh, there's a good fuzzy creature, you know, it's kind of dumb. No, this is the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. And if hmm. there's a whole understanding of what that is all about. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's really kind of the the uh, the thrust of why God didn't do it right away. He wanted to set the stage so that mankind would understand what's really involved in salvation and in who God is and and, and what he is like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we forget. I, li I like that answer. I've heard a lot of answers to that, but I think as humans, we forget a lot of the time that, and we, we shouldn't because like it's so obvious, but anything that has value takes a lot of time usually to mm -hmm. get here. And so like, for God, like to reveal Himself to us, like there's obviously a, like a progress in that throughout Scripture, and like we're such limited beings, like I don't know if we can understand if it just immediately happened. Right. You know what I mean, right. It's crazy. Yeah, and understanding yeah. the whole significance of what is uh, what exactly is, what God is trying to do, and yeah. the interesting thing is God did it in the course of history. You know, mm. so you can't just it's not just like okay, I, I'm going to write a book. We didn't just write a book; He actually wrote history. Mm. And we see what's happening in history, and then the, the history is recorded, and you see it through that, so that you can't just fake it, you know, mm. make it sound mm. like, you know, oh, it's a nice book, it really it, it sounds good, but mm. it's all of what God does is in, involved with the actual history of the world as well. Mm. Mm. And with that, too, with the history of the world um, and Christianity, that's another evidence of the reality of Christianity, the reality of God, right, is that Christianity is one of the most historically accurate religions, if not the most historically accurate religion in the world, based on a lot of archaeology and a lot of outside sources. And that's like a really exciting thing to think about, too, is not only do we have like philosophy that we can use on our side, we also have history as well. Mm. And that's like a really great tool to, to know. Yeah, that's one of the things that really is the difference between Christianity and other religions. Most, almost all the other religions, especially the Eastern mystic religions, are philosophies. It's philosophical musings mm -hmm. by very sincere, in a way, um, but very finite men. 
as opposed mm. to, and women, um, as opposed to something that is occurring in history. So uh, yeah, you can find out, did Confucius live? Yes, we can find out that Confucius lived and he died, mm. but he didn't talk about things happening in history. He talked about philosophical things, um, mm -hmm. philosophical musings of sincere but finite men. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. As you've had conversations with people and they've brought up these questions and you've answered them the way that you do in the book, what has been their reaction to some of those answers? Uh, most of the people are pretty surprised. You know, <laughs> a lot of the people never thought there were any answers. You know, I'll sit down with somebody and talk about uh, evolution and they're just kind of blown away in a way because they've never mm. heard that. They, I mean, every time you go to a museum, every time you read a, uh, a newspaper article or a magazine article about some um, uh, something in nature or whatever, you know, it just sort of assumes that you, you go to a national park and they'll tell you about how, you know, 15 million years ago, such and such occurred, you know, and uh, you sort of assume that there's this, this evolutionary bent behind it. And uh, people haven't really thought about it. Uh, it's really kind of amazing, you know. One of the things I say that about evolution is that uh, it doesn't make sense theoretically. Mm. Now, I, I talk about some of the specifics of God's uh, design and and how everything is is um, put like that. But theoretically, it doesn't make sense to have a half a wing. You know, mm. if you're going to be going transitioning from a reptile to a bird, and you suddenly have a half a wing. That doesn't help you. It actually, mm. gonna, you're going to die more quickly. You can have, you know, legs, or you can have wings. But if you have a half a wing, half a leg, it doesn't work. Um, mm. It has to be fully functional in order for it to be of use. And the interesting thing is, when you look at the fossil record and you look at what life is like now in terms of the the world, they're all fully formed creatures. Now, you may have a lot of different things about creatures. You can have some, you know. Uh, uh, frogs who start out swimming in the water and then they get onto the uh, the land, but they had gills that worked and they had lungs that worked. They didn't have half a gill and half a lung, you know, so that mm -hmm. it didn't work as a, a gill and it didn't work as a lung. You got to have the whole thing has to be in place. I use the example of the bombardier beetle as uh, one of these things, their defense mechanism, mm -hmm. which is really quite fascinating that this creature is able to actually fire hot gases in the face of a predator, you know, and how that all works together is amazing. Uh, one of the yeah. comments, my friend, I, I mentioned the book, but my friend said to me one time, how would you, how would you design a better squirrel? Mm. I just, very. I was sitting out in, in, in my office at one point uh, in another house where I had, where I actually had a window out in the office. Um, and I was watching the squirrel jump from one branch to another and swing around and get, yeah, that's amazing what that creature can do. Mm -hmm. And if you ask the squirrel, do you want to become something different? He said, no, no, I really like nuts. And I like jumping from one place to another. And it's kind of really cool. So, you know, God has yeah. just done all these things. Uh, I can't remember what your original question was. I kind of got off on a rabbit trail there. Oh, that's good. That's well, great. I love that. One of the things you said, you mentioned how theoretically evolution doesn't make sense. And that's even, that's so true. Because also, if you're going from water to land, What's to say to that species that land is a better environment for it to live in? You know, like they don't have any, there's nothing there to push them to drive that drive to go to the land. Because mm. there's, there's a lot of predators. It's like, well, there's a lot of predators anyways. And a bunch of those fish didn't 
jump out of the water mm. and grow legs. And so then it's like, well, yeah, who's to say that, oh, there's going to be, the, where's the knowledge of, for them come from? Like, oh, there's food and there's the safety. And there's not, who's to say there's not predators out there? Or when you have the land animals, it's like, who's to say that growing wings is the best way to go? Mm. You yeah, know, like, what guides it? Yeah, there, what's the what's the guiding compass to say, you know, if I could fly, that would be better. It would be a lot harder than what I'm doing now. There'd be a lot less places to live. You know, it'd be like, and you know, it's, it's I have to make my bones hollow, and they're not right yeah. now. And That's so there's nothing to guide the decisions. Right. This is arbitrary. One of the, your comment there about the the hollow bones. Uh, if you've ever gone to a um, a zoo, and you'll see sometimes they'll have a man who'll have on his arm a big hawk, right? And, uh, or maybe even an eagle, not mm. so much of an eagle. And he just, you know, it's almost light. It's very light. If you had an animal that size, it's like, oh my goodness, that's mm. really heavy. Well, just having feathers doesn't enable you to fly. You got to have hollow mm. bones. You have to have yeah. the certain kinds of muscles that work to be able to flap your wings properly. You have to have all kinds of things to make that work. And again, it has to be all in place or it doesn't work. What I use, um, the illustration in my book is of a vehicle junkyard. Um, if you went to a vehicle junkyard and you applied the, the evolutionary principles to it, you'd look at it and say, ah, I think what started out as a unicycle gradually developed into a bicycle and then a tricycle. And then it went to a, uh, a an automobile that uh, maybe a Fiat, I happen to like Fiats, and eventually it became a BMW because the BMW uh, current, whoops, I think I lost you guys. Ah, there you are. Uh, yeah, you BMW, can have a little bit there. Yeah, um, what start, I'll, I'll do that again. You can, <laughs> whatever it is. Anyway, what started out <laughs> as a unicycle became a bicycle and then a tricycle and then a Fiat Spider and then uh, hmm. a Cadillac limousine, and finally a BMW, because the BMW's advertising slogan is the ultimate driving machine. <laughs> you could say that that's what happened, but in all probability, each one of those was designed by a designer. Hmm. And so if you look at what's happening in nature, uh, to say that something just gradually developed into something else, or to look at it from a perspective of a divine designer, it's much more reasonable to believe that there was a designer. Who put mm -hmm. it all together mm -hmm. yeah it's awesome. mm -hmm. yeah that's good well as we come to the end of the show we we changed our last question that we asked guests the first yeah. time you were on we asked you <laughs> what, what would be the largest predator you could take out with any melee weapon we changed it um it's now more suitable for the show yeah now it's a little bit more suitable <laughs> so our the question we asked everybody now is what has been the hardest question you faced in your christian walk or experience and how did you overcome to keep you a Christian? Mm, and yeah. it kind of goes really well with this episode because we're talking about this whole book that deals with some of the, those questions. Mm. Yeah, I think the hardest question, that's a very good question, by the way. And uh, <laughs> that's a hard one. Um, yeah. I think the hardest question was, why would God command the children of Israel to completely wipe out an entire mm. civilization? It's a hard one. That's a big issue. And uh, what happened was I was in seminary and uh, nobody ever really addressed that issue very much. Um, they just kind of, most of the answers that I found were not very satisfying. They usually- Yeah, they're vague and they just kind of get around it. 
um, I was in a class. I can't remember what the class was. I think World Mission of the Church. J. Christie Wilson was the uh, professor. And he made a side comment. I mean, this was not even part of, I don't even know why he said it, but he made the hmm. side, side comment that uh, in ancient uh, Canaan, there was rampant venereal disease because of their immoral lifestyle. And I thought, huh, does, I didn't know that. What happens with disease? Disease passes from one place to another. And in a way, you have that passing not just from one person to another, but from one generation to another. Uh, back in, I guess it was in the 70s, late 70s into the 80s, when the AIDS epidemic came, uh, all of a sudden you suddenly realize that there was these children that were born with AIDS because of the immoral lifestyle of their parents. And it's like, wow. So disease can go from very rapidly through a particular culture and it can go from one generation to the next generation. How do you get rid of disease? You gotta burn it. You just gotta get rid of it. Now that's not the only reason of why God does that. But that was one of the things that really helped me understand that there are there are factors that I don't know about, that I've never mm. thought about, that God is very much aware of. And so if I'm going to uh, eradicate uh, disease, in fact, one of the things I say in my book about that kind of general issue is um, God has set a limit on the amount of pain he will allow any one individual to experience. That's one mm. of the things that happened with regard to the uh, the torture part of that, that when men were being tortured, uh, certain parts of their bodies would either go numb or they'd go mm. unconscious, you know, so yeah. God has set a limit. Now, we may think that the limit is too, too broad, but from God's perspective, he has decided that there is a limit on how much pain any one individual can actually experience, because if, if it gets beyond this one level, it, the uh, an area of the body will go numb. Uh, the person will go unconscious or they'll die one way or another. Mm. I and mean, there's a limit, but he's also done the same thing for what he will allow the amount of pain. He will allow any individual culture to experience. And if you mm. look back through history, you'll see that cultures that have promoted uh, things that, that really result ultimately in pain and suffering in one, either emotional or physical in the case of uh, Canaan, a lot of that was physical uh, suffering that came through venereal diseases and other communicable diseases that they had back then. Um, mm. God says, okay, now is the time for an end to, to that culture. And the interesting mm. thing is that uh, Abraham, when he, uh, when God talks to Abraham, he says, I'm going to send you into this promised land, but not yet, because mm. the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. When mm. it got to a point where God said, okay, now it's full, I've got to wipe it out. And at that point, I have to wipe it out and burn it because I've got mm. to get rid of the disease as well as other things that were going on there. So I think for mm. me, that was the, the hardest question uh, to address uh, on that. Um, mm. So that's good. Thanks for your answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And with the 400 years, too, of like, hey, right. the sin's not yet complete. It's also a form of mercy where he's given mm. them time right. to repent, you know, so his justice is not without his mercy. You know, That's his cool. judgment is not without his mercy. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, do you have any new projects you're working on or anything like that you want to plug to everybody else? Any places you want to send people that are listening? Well, they can go to my uh, website, georgewsaris.com. I'm actually trying mm. to 
revise that. It was interesting. I was uh, interviewed by Eric Metaxas. I don't know if you know Eric, but uh, he has a radio show and um, good man. He's a friend. And uh, I was on the show and uh, he never re mentioned that you can go to amazon.com and order Searching for Truth in Vegas, Hollywood, and uh, Bethlehem. He said, mm -hmm. yeah, just go to uh, georgewsaris.com. I thought, I don't even have it mentioned on my uh, my website yet. Mm. And uh, fortunately, he had uh, pre-recorded it. And he wasn't going to um, uh, air it for a, a few days. <laughs> so oh, there you go. Then I said, I got to get something on my website. That's my <laughs> so it was rash, you know, running crazy to try to do that. But georgewsaris.com, hopefully, in the not too distant future, it will actually be a better website than it is currently. Mm. But it kind of tells about who I am. But the next, just a friend of mine, um, actually my agent in New York. Uh, mm. I'll mention one other thing. Uh, if people do want to hear my voice, if you hear a commercial for Puffs Tissues, the tagline is, a nose in need deserves puffs indeed. That's my voice. So uh, there you go. I'm the, the voice of Puffs Tissues. But anyway, my agent in New York, um, is a good man. I think he's the only growing Christian agent in the entire world. <laughs> these kinds of things. But uh, he's a great man. And over the years, I've talked to him about um, families, uh, being a husband, being a father, etc. And he has encouraged me on a number of occasions to write a book on what is a man. Hmm. And um, just the other night, somebody said to me, you know, George, you ought to write a book about what is a man. <laughs> and my <laughs> wife has been encouraging me to write a book about what is a man. And uh, so I may do that. I, I gave a series of talks a number of years ago at a, a men's retreat on what is a man. And uh, mm. a man is not what we typically see as this macho, you know, uh, over, uh, overpowering person. There's a mm. sensitivity. I mean, really, the, the best man is Jesus of Nazareth, obviously. Um, mm. But looking at what is a man. But that that'll take a lot of time for me to, to work on that yeah. and uh, come on. Well, that's great. Well, we'll look forward to hearing about that book, hopefully in the future then. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Yeah. Awesome, George. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Mm. Everybody know where to check him out. We'll also have his link in the description and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming back, everybody. Shoots.